following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. Great to see all of you. Uh, my name is Brian. If you're new here, the lead pastor here at Missio Day, and uh, really, really thankful that you would take time to worship with us this morning. Uh, if you are new and, and want to know more about our church, uh, you can fill out a connect card. It's that gray and blue card in the seat back in front of you. Just lets us know that you are here, and uh, the back side of that card can be used for prayer requests. So for any of you, if there's a way we can pray for you, the elders love to pray for our people. Uh, and, and the staff does as well. And so uh, you can fill that out, put it in those black giving boxes on your way out, and that will let us know that you uh, were here and that there's something that we can pray for you about. Um, uh, yeah, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14 is where we are this morning. Um, Acts is, now look, we're just now um, at about the halfway point of the book of Acts. <laughs> And we started this book after Easter, uh, and so we have a long way to go yet, um, but we are, we're going to finish chapter 14 today. We'll actually ch- finish chapter 15 uh, before we get into the season of Advent. Y'all, Christmas is just around the corner. Isn't that crazy? 2021 has gone by in a blink. Um, the book of Acts is really all about the power of God, all right? Unleashed through everyday ordinary people like you and me, expanding the kingdom, Right? inviting more people into faith uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a cycle. As we've been through these 13, 14 chapters of the book of Acts, there's a cycle that we have seen. I, I, don't, I wonder if you've noticed it. Uh, the cycle goes like this. Open doors and opposition. Open doors, opportunity to, uh, to proclaim the gospel, people giving their lives to Jesus, and then immediately following, there's opposition, hardship, persecution, pain. And that cycle really continues all the way through the book of Acts. As the kingdom of God advances, the kingdom of darkness pushes back. Now, recently we've been looking at Paul's first mission trip, right? His, his missionary journey. And uh, I want to have this, we're going to call for this map a few times during uh, the, the sermon because I w- there's a whole bunch of cities that are going to be named in our passage and I want you to see them. But uh, if you remember the journey... Paul and his traveling companion Barnabas, uh, they leave Antioch in Syria. So that's sort of middle screen right there, okay? They travel to Cyprus. They go through those uh, cities of Salamis and Paphos. And then they get on a ship and they head uh, sort of to the north to Perga. Uh, Then they go 100 miles north uh, into Antioch of Galatia. There were like 16 or 17 different cities called Antioch at that time, uh, in honor of Antiochus, who was the father of uh, one of the rulers of the day. Now, that was a hundred-mile journey through all kinds of danger and toil, uh, so much so that John Mark, their traveling companion, uh, decided to go back to Jerusalem. He abandoned them, which we'll get back to in chapter 15. Uh, But then you see that they go, uh, point uh, number five there, they go from Antioch to Iconium. That's what we looked at last week. Now, as they're proclaiming the gospel, they're seeing incredible fruit, okay? Uh, Gentiles, these are non-Jewish people who, who have sort of followed the God of the Old Testament. They are giving their lives to Jesus in droves. Uh, and so 
people are believing the gospel. Uh, In certain places, whole cities are sort of stirred up and they're coming to hear about this Jesus. But there are Jews in these places who are not believers. They They are antagonistic against Jesus and his gospel. And so they stir up dissent and opposition against Paul and Barnabas. And so uh, what we saw in one of those places is that they face some opposition. They sort of shake the dust off their feet and they move on to another place. They say, you know what? If you Jews aren't going to believe this, we're going to go to the Gentiles. And the gospel at the end of chapter 13 is spreading like wildfire throughout the entire region. Now, last week, uh, Jimmy, Pastor Jimmy, who was just up here a minute ago, um, He showed us that as Paul and Barnabas go into Iconium there, sort of in the center of the screen, great numbers of people surrender to Jesus. But again, the unbelieving Jews come and attack them. And the text says that they poisoned the minds of uh, the people against these new believers. They cause controversy that divides the city. And there's a plot to attack them, to stone them. And so again, Paul and Barnabas move on. They go to Lystra, uh, which is down there, number six. It's sort of down Uh, uh, directly beneath Iconium. I know it's a little hard to see from a distance, uh, this map. And in Lystra, a a lame man, a a man who's been paralyzed from birth, he's healed. People are amazed. They begin to actually worship Paul and Barnabas as if they are Greek gods. And this is very disturbing to Paul and Barnabas, right? They're like, whoa, 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 not to us, but to his name be the glory, right? And they start to tell people about Jesus. And the text, as we, as we end uh, uh, verse 18, it says, even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. Like the people were so ready to fall down at their feet and worship them as gods. And they had to be like, whoa, 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 this is about Jesus. And that's actually where we pick the story up, okay? So I just wanted to sort of catch you up. We're now in Lystra uh, at the middle of the screen there. And this is where we enter the, the middle of this missionary journey, this mission trip. This is a two-year journey. And so who knows how far into it they are, but this is where we pick up the story. So what I want to do is I want to read for us verses 19 to 28, uh, pray, and then we'll dive into these chunks and, and see what the Lord has for us. So follow with me, starting in verse 19 of Acts chapter 14. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds... They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful to be together this morning as a church family. Uh, We are grateful to 
uh, to be in your presence, Holy Spirit, and uh, under the authority of your word, God. And we ask that you would meet us here by your word, through your spirit, that you would do what only you can do in our midst, and that you would help us to understand uh, what has been said, this narrative account of, of what happened in these cities, and that uh, you would help us to see the beauty and glory of Jesus in it, and to cling to him, uh, to rely on Jesus, maybe like we've never done before. Uh, Lord, that we would see our part in the mission of God, that we would embrace it, that you would use us as instruments of your grace uh, to extend the kingdom of God, to, uh, to reach uh, the ends of the earth for your glory and for the good of people who don't even know you yet. And so I thank you for these brothers and sisters who are here, uh, those who are longtime family and, and church members and those who are new friends. And I pray, Lord, that everyone uh, would be encouraged today and challenged uh, by your word. Holy Spirit, help me uh, to proclaim this word uh, truthfully, um, to rightly divide your word. Um, and uh, Lord, may the, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart um, honor you, bring, bring glory to you, my rock, my redeemer. We ask all this in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right. Now, Jimmy mentioned last week that in this region of Lystra, um, these Jews had come, and we, we see this in the text, right? Some of them from, from Antioch at Pisidia had traveled a hundred miles to oppose the work of the gospel through Paul and Barnabas. Like, that's some really strong opinions, right? To travel a hundred miles, uh, probably either on horse or by foot, uh, that's passion, right? To say, this has to stop. And, and so they come all the way from Antioch, some of them from other cities, to Lystra. Paul used to be a man like that. He says himself that he, he was breathing threats and murder against the church until the Lord met him on the road to Damascus and completely changed his life from one who opposed Jesus to one who has surrendered to Jesus. Now, Lystra was mostly pagan, mostly Gentile. There, there were not really Jews there. They didn't have influence. And so when we see here uh, that these Jews came in verse 19 from Antioch and Iconium, having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, opposing, uh, supposing that he was dead. How did they persuade them? If the Jews had no influence or not much influence, how is it that they would persuade them uh, to, to be opposed to Paul and to Barnabas? We don't know. Um, but it's likely it had something to do with, uh, with them showing or telling these Gentiles, uh, if you trust in Jesus, if you follow Jesus, you're not going to be able to worship your false gods anymore, your idols the reason I say that is because in Acts chapter 19, which we'll get to one day, um, the gospel comes to the city of Ephesus. We just read from Ephesians 2 there. And uh, when the gospel comes to Ephesus, people are believing in Christ and they are getting rid of their idol worship. They're burning all their witchcraft books in the city, right? And all the people who make the idols are like, uh-oh. And it causes a riot in the city because all these people whose livelihood depends on the worship of false gods are going to be out of a job. And so it causes this big stir and this big dissension. So probably, it's really interesting. These Jews were opposed to Jesus, but they weren't saying, hey, come be a Jew. They were saying, hey, stick with your false God worship. Just don't worship Jesus. That's interesting, isn't it? 
And so they, they turn these people against Paul and Barnabas. How, how fickle, how easily convinced some of us can be. They move very quickly from worshiping Paul to stoning him. Now, if you're a note taker, my first point here is pain and perseverance. Pain and perseverance. Verse 20 says, when the disciples, sorry, verse 19, they, they stoned Paul. They dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. Verse 20, but when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went with, on with Barnabas to Derbe. Stoning was brutal. Um, usually it happened outside the city. They would, they would literally, uh, according to Jewish custom, they would take people uh, to a high ground. Sometimes there'd be a wall and they would push them off and they would hit the ground and then they would throw large stones onto them. And so they would, they would be hit by these large rocks and, and they would succumb to that. It wasn't, you know, just throwing pebbles or, or little rocks at people. Like this was a different thing. But here it starts in the city because they drag him out after they've stoned him. So maybe they are just picking up rocks and pelting him. But it's severe enough. You have to understand like the, the, the stoning that Paul received was severe enough that they assume he's dead or going to shortly die. They leave him for dead, which was also a mark of cursing because uh, to be unburied was, was to be cursed. So here they leave him to die. I'm not sure how Barnabas escaped this. <laughs> it's, always, it's always been a question to me, like Barnabas is just standing there like, oh no. And he's like, he's not getting stones thrown at him either. Maybe because he wasn't the mouthpiece at this time. But here's what's happening. The words of Jesus from Acts chapter 9 are coming to fruition. When, when Saul surrenders his life to Jesus, um, God says, Jesus says to um, uh, the name is escaping me, the man who, who goes to lay his hands on Saul, right? He says to him, I will show him, speaking of Paul, how much he must suffer for my sake. And here's Paul being pummeled with stones, with rocks, okay, suffering for the name of Jesus. And, and um, if you read 2 Corinthians 11, uh, Paul sort of catalogs all the pain and suffering that he's gone through, right? That he was uh, whipped, you know, the, the 39 lashes, the, the 40 minus one, multiple times that he was shipwrecked, that he was arrested, that he was beaten. He says, once I was stoned. That's this time. Okay? And so everyone thinks Paul is dead. He's drug out of the city. He's been pummeled with rocks. It says the disciples, they gather around him, probably to mourn at first. And they're gathered around him and all of a sudden, they can see his body rising and falling, and they realize he's alive. And so they perhaps, the text doesn't tell us for sure, but I imagine they begin to pray, right? And he gets up. Now, the text does not tell us it was a miracle, but I'm telling you it was a miracle, okay? The fact that this brother could be pummeled with rocks, like, it was a, mo it was a, a method of execution, and, and they were pretty thorough, <laughs> Okay, and so for him to be at death's door and then revived is miraculous. This is a side point, but brothers and sisters, hear me. When God's people pray, stuff happens. Stuff happens. And so let us be a people who pray, who ask God to do what only God can do. 
What, what in your life is nearly dead? What right now in your life, in your relationships, in your heart, in your soul, in your business, right, in your family, what is nearly dead? What is unrevivable according to man's standards? Pray. Pray. Ask people in this congregation to pray with you and for you that God will revive, that he will do what only he can do for his glory and for your good. And so Paul gets up, he rises up. And what does he do? Class? He goes back into the city. What? Okay, at Antioch of Pisidia, this is back in maybe chapter 13, uh, the Jews simply contradicted him and reviled him, and he shakes the dust off his feet and he moves on. Now they attempt to murder him, and he's like, let's go back. <laughs> is this guy insane? A little bit. He's the same guy who says in Philippians, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This brother is unstoppable because he knows that every day that he gets another breath is a moment to proclaim the glory of Jesus, and if he dies, he will go and meet Jesus. It's a win-win, right? Which makes him untouchable. Now, I don't know how you picture Paul. I think a lot of us probably picture him um, like Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan, right? Attractive beard. He did play Obi-Wan, right? I can't remember. I'm not really a Star Wars guy, but I just remember that image. Okay, so, you know, fairly attractive, chiseled jawbone and like manicured beard and all that. In likelihood, he was more like George Costanza, okay? <laughs> and yet, that's no lie. And so here, he, I mean, pummeled by stones, he rises and he goes back into the city. Somehow, someway, Paul knew in his spirit that his assignment in Lystra was not over. It was not complete. It was not finished. So he demonstrates a godly perseverance. Now, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Sometimes, I think we, Christians, equate ease and convenience with the leading of the Lord. And so, as long as it's going well, as long as things are up and to the right, as long as I'm not suffering in any way, shape, or form. God must be in it. And the moment it gets hard, the moment it gets painful, the moment things are not going the way I think they ought to go, God must have abandoned me. I don't have to tell you, especially if you got a little age on you, life is hard. Life can be brutal. And that doesn't mean that God is not good. Ministry is hard. Ministry can be brutal, but it doesn't mean that God is not in it. So I, I think too often we are tempted to hit the eject button before the Lord releases us. 
and we miss the fruit of what could have been. So maybe you're, you have a difficult relationship and you are, tended, you, you, you are tempted to sever that relationship and walk away because this is not worth it, it's too painful. Maybe you're in a job where things are really hard and the people you work with are awful and you don't enjoy the work and you're tempted, you're, you're looking at job sites all the time, like looking for a new, maybe some of you are new to this city and you're having a really hard time making friends and connections and, and paying your bills, right? And you're like, oh God, maybe I should go somewhere else. And maybe some of you are new to this church and you haven't yet found your, your people. And so you're just like, this is hard. This stinks. I don't want to be here. I don't know what to do. And you're tempted just to, to, to hit eject on that. And I am not advocating, especially if this is a, a relational dynamic, I'm not advocating that we put ourselves in the position to continue to be harmed or abused if that's happening. But some of you just feel beaten down. And the Lord is saying to you today, persevere. Don't stop. Go back. Go back in. Go back. The Lord is not done with you there yet. And look, the next day, the next day, he rose up, entered the city, and on the next day, verse 20, he went on to Derby. So it wasn't forever. The Lord said, persevere. And he said, okay. And then the next day, the Lord was like, you're released. So when the Lord tells you to persevere, he doesn't it's not, it doesn't mean necessarily that it's forever. It just means now. And when and if the Lord releases you, you're free. You're released. Move on. But obedience to the Lord matters in these situations. So, so don't leave. Don't forsake it. Don't, don't, don't hit eject on it until the Lord tells you you can or you should. And if you don't know, then maybe you wait. You invite others to pray with you and for you to help you discern what is the Lord doing? When is it time? Okay? But there is pain and there's perseverance, and that's what we're called to do is persevere. All right, you guys with me? Second, second thing here. Let me get a sip of water. Love and leadership. Love and leadership. Look at verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city, meaning Derby, so they, they had moved on from Lystra to Derby. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Love and leadership. <clears throat> so they move on. The Lord moves them on, right, from Lystra to Derby, and they do two things there, all right? You can see here uh, uh, from seven, yeah, ver number seven there on the map, Lystra in the center, top center, over to Derby. okay? This is where they are at this moment, all right? And then when they're finished there, they go back to Lystra, back to Iconium, and they're going to basically retrace their steps all the way back, uh, whereas they could have, it would have been really easy uh, to leave Derby and go to Tarsus, which is to the south there on the coast, which is where Paul was from, right? If they're going to make their way back to Antioch, they're a lot closer to Antioch 
in Derby than they are going back the other, the other way, and we'll get to that in a second. They do two things while they're there, okay? They preach the gospel and make disciples. Preach the gospel, make disciples. This is what all of us are called to, right? This is what Jesus tells us in Matthew 28 when he gives the Great Commission, right? Go into all the world and uh, proclaim the gospel, right? Tell them who I am. Uh, make disciples and teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. This is exactly what they're doing. They're telling people about the life of Jesus, perfect sinless life in their place, the death of Jesus for their sins, right? To pay the penalty that they could not pay on their own, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, conquering sin, death, and hell for them. They, they tell them about that. And then once these people receive Christ, they, te- they teach them to observe everything that Jesus commanded them. Then they make this U-turn and they head back again to Lystra, this place where he just got stones thrown at him, right? He goes back to Lystra, back to Iconium, back to Antioch of Pisidia. And as I mentioned, it would have been way easier to go to Tarsus and then go back to, to Antioch where they came from, but they take great pains to go back through each city that they had visited on the, on the journey before. Why would they do that? What are they doing? What, the, what does the text tell us that they're doing on these journeys? They're strengthening the souls of the disciples. They're encouraging them. They're shepherding people. They're pastoring people. Um, Again, in 2 Corinthians 11, when when Paul says, after all of the, the sort of litany of pain that he's been through, and he says, on top of all that is my anxiety for all the churches, now we get it, right? He's concerned for them. He cares for them. Paul has a great sense of responsibility for the people in these congregations. Remember, at this time, there's no denominations, right? There's no, um, there's no Bible. There's no New Testament. And so here they are, you know, proclaiming the gospel. People are believing it. They're coming to faith. They're moving on. And now they're coming back through to continue to encourage them, to continue to shepherd them, to continue to help them grow as disciples. Paul has a, a, a deep father-like love for each congregation, a deep concern for them, that they'll stay on path. In in fact, um, as we read the the rest of the letters in the New Testament, what we find is is Paul's heart. I mean, he conveys his heart, uh, how much he loves these people and cares for them and prays for them. And and those letters are course correction, right? Uh, Either to, to, um, to not become legalists or, or not to, to be involved in too much license, right? But to hold fast to the gospel that they first believed. And so his whole ministry from this point forward, I mean, he'll continue to plant churches, he'll continue to proclaim the gospel and go to unreached places, but he continues to shepherd and care for people as well. Now imagine with me for a second that you are a disciple at Iconium uh, where Paul had come before, or maybe even in, in Antioch of Pisidia. And when you were in one of those places, and Paul and Barnabas were there, uh, they faced opposition, right? People were reviling them and, and opposing them, but they were not harmed. But now, Paul shows back up in your city, and he looks rough. He looks like he's been absolutely walloped. And he goes, stay faithful, <laughs> It's going to be hard. And you're like, oh, man, what? Uh, but but here's, here's the beautiful thing I think Paul's doing. And, man, we have we've really lost, lost this today. 
Paul is helping them develop a theology of suffering. Because he says, he's encouraging them, uh, but then he says, through many tribulations will they enter the kingdom of God. Right? He, he's reminding them, right? St- continue in the faith, stay faithful to him. Through many tribulations, this is verse 22, you must enter the kingdom of God. He's strengthening the souls, he's encouraging, but he's also just reminding them, hey, life is hard. Um, Jesus did not suffer for us so that we would not suffer. Jesus suffered for us so that in our suffering we might be made more like him. And believers in closed countries know this very well. Believers in countries where uh, it is not in vogue to believe the gospel, they know this, right? We have gotten very comfortable with Christianity being equated with favor and power in this country. And now that some of that is starting to slip away from us, many of us are getting very fearful. But it's the way of the kingdom. It's the way of the kingdom. I I remember, uh, it's it's been a few years now, but um, we did a series a number of years ago um, on faith and vocation. And I see Jeff Heck sitting over here, and I'm just going to call him out for a second because we did these little videos about your faith and your vocation. And one of the things that Jeff said in that video was so poignant. And he said, you know, in in Ephesians 6, we talk about the armor of God, right? That we're we're all equipped with the armor. And he said... Something to the effect, I'm going to paraphrase you, if that's okay, Jeff. He said, uh, I don't think God intended us to, to cross the threshold uh, into eternity, into heaven, with our armor all shiny, right? But that the breastplate is caved in and the, the sword is broken off and the helmet's got some dents and scratches in it, right? Because, and that's life, right? And, and we're equipped with this armor, but we got to use the armor, <laughs> We've got to go into battle every day with the armor that God equips us with and know that we're going to have some dings and dents and scratches, but, but we move forward for the sake of, of the gospel. It is hard to be a Christian in this age. But brothers and sisters, it's hard to be a Christian in any age because to be a Christian means you're opposed to the wisdom of whatever age you're in. It, it's, it's hard. And so we need, we need to be reminded that the Lord is good. In spite of that, right? The cross of Christ makes it clear that God is good, that he's for us, right? That he would give his only son for us. That he loves us beyond measure, that he's with us, even when the world is against us. And so we we need to be reminded of that gospel, of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus for us. We need to be reminded of our identity in Christ. You know, that, that we have the right to be called the children of God, that we are beloved, that we are, that, that we mean the world to him. And the church has to be a place where we can experience strengthening and reassurance as we go out into opposition in this world, 
Um, that's why Peter, I'll just read you one little line from 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, this is how Peter talks about suffering. Uh, he says, for it's, this is uh, 1 Peter three seventeen. for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. That's him for us. That he might bring us to God. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been brought to God. You have a relationship with the God of the universe. You have the spirit of God dwelling inside of you right now. You can't get much closer to God on this earth than you are right now. That he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. He'll even go on to say, you know, have, have a good conscience when you are slandered, when they revile you because you trust in Christ. Pain is coming, but, but um, may the church be a place where we can experience strengthening and assurance, reassurance of the goodness of God. And, and, and then they appoint leaders. So I titled this point, Love and Leadership. Um, they appoint leaders, elders in these churches, right? Uh, after the model of the synagogue, that's what Paul was used to, right? Is this leadership structure in the synagogue that there were elders. Now, he'll go on later in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1 to give us qualifications for biblical church elders, okay? You can read those on your own. But here's the thing I want to point out about that. Right now, he's just coming back through these churches. They've observed, however long it's been, they've observed the, the character of some of these leaders, and now they appoint some folks to be the leaders of the church while, they're, while they go back home. So these are going to be independent churches, right? Here you go. This is, this is your pastor, your leader. Um, in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, you'll see that the, the overwhelming majority of those qualifications have to do with character. Um, and though they're called qualifications for elders, they're really just a description of what a healthy Christian is. And so it's really something, in terms of the, the qualifications, the character, it's something all of us should strive to become by God's grace. So they install a plurality of elders in each local congregation. They do what was done to them in Antioch. They pray and they fast. They lay their hands on and they set apart these elders uh, to, to lead these churches in their, in their stead. Um, and I, I love that they didn't rush into it. They, they came, planted the gospel, right? Started a church, moved on, then came back through and then appointed leaders. So they had time to sort of see who, who, has, who has risen to leadership, who, who has the character to lead this thing forward, uh, and, and then they, <coughs> excuse me, they <coughs> install them and let them move on. <clears throat> now, I just want to take one real quick moment. Most of you know we are an, an elder-led congregation, um, and you've seen two of our elders up state, on stage this morning, Mark Knox, who's been leading us in music this morning, and Jimmy Branch, who, uh, who led us in prayer. Uh, Larry Shingler is over here uh, in, in the red shirt. Just wave your hand real quick. He's our pastor of spiritual formation. Um, and Ryan Krishnan uh, leads music often, but he's, uh, he's on a hunting trip this, uh, this weekend, so he's not here. But uh, I just want to publicly say thank you to these men for being elders in this congregation. Uh, these are men of incredible character uh, who I love and trust, and you can also. They're not perfect. Neither am I. Shocker. But they... They love you, they love Jesus, 
and, and they, are, they have given uh, a lot of their life and their time, their energy, their prayers, their tears, right, to you, to this congregation, to shepherd you, to care for you. And God, we make mistakes and we fail. Um, and, and by God's grace, we, we can admit those failures and repent and, and seek your forgiveness and, 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 and continue to, to earn the ability to lead you well. But I just want you to know they love you and they pray for you. And, and our, our team is unified and strong and, and I love these men and I'm thankful for them in my life and, and you should be thankful for them too. And, and I missed pastor appreciation in October, but I just wanna say thank you to these men. Can we just say thank you to these men as our elders? <clears throat> and I've told them one of their primary jobs is to protect me from me, so they got a lot. Yeah, it's a, it's a big task. <laughs> okay. Last thing here, uh, look with me at verses 24 to 28. We'll, we'll wrap this up as quick as we can. Then they passed through Pisidia and then came to Pamphylia. When they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, just retracing their steps here. From there, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. They had fulfilled. Interesting. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. So I titled this last point, Rest and Rejoicing. Rest and Rejoicing. So back they go, making their way through the towns and cities that they visited before. Again, they left uh, Antioch. They go down to Perga, to Italia. You see there, they're just sort of retracing uh, their steps. And then from there, they take a boat all the way back to Antioch uh, in Syria. Now, they're heading back to their sending church, so to speak, right? Uh, this is roughly a two-year journey. So we've, we've read it in like, you know, a couple of weeks' time, okay? But this is two years or more worth of arduous, pioneering ministry. Uh, and now they're headed back home, not really their home, but home base, uh, to, to tell of what God had done. I love that it says that the work was fulfilled, right? They had they, mission accomplished. They did everything that God had led them to do in that mission trip. They felt confident in that, and now they can go back, and they can tell what God has done, and they can rest. And this is what you're going to see with Paul over the next chapters in Acts. Uh, he actually takes four missionary journeys in total. So this is the conclusion of the first one. He'll go back, he'll rest up, he'll prep, and he'll go out again pretty quickly, actually. And some of them are longer, some of them are shorter. But I love that they gather the whole church together and it says that they report that all that God had done. Like this is not a five-minute fundraising report, right? And of course, there were no blogs, there's no Twitter, there's no email. They can't send reports from the field. Maybe a letter here or there, we don't know. This has got to be at least hours, if not days, worth of testimony, right? Here's all that God, I mean, imagine, imagine being gathered there and, and Paul gets the mic, you know, and he's like, so there we were, right? He's like, we were in Paphos and here comes a magician. And I looked him in his eyes and here's what I said to him. I says, you son of the devil, right? You just, those stories had to be amazing to hear him talking about, I don't know why he had a Southern accent, but he did. Uh, <laughs> but to hear like from his mouth, right? This is what God did through all the hardship and all the pain 
in all the persecution, he says God had opened doors of faith for the Gentiles. God opened doors. And so the church can rejoice, right? Because people in other parts of the world, they're, they're, they covered nine cities in two years, which doesn't sound like a lot to us because we can drive through nine cities on our way to grandma's house, okay? But this is hundreds of miles in the first century. They, they planted nine churches or churches in nine different cities or regions in, in two years' time. I mean, just breakneck pace. Um, and, and people in other parts of the world have surrendered to Christ because this church at Antioch sent they sent two of their best. Now, there's two things by way of application, perhaps, that I can point out here. Number one, we have been and want to continue to be a sending church, okay? Uh, I've, I've had conversations uh, with two different folks in the last month uh, about them sensing a call uh, to overseas missions. And man, that makes my heart happy. And we want to be part of that, helping people discern that call uh, helping people solidify and clarify that call, and then actually participating in sending them. Uh, some of you are, are sensing that call even now, and we want, we want to help you with that. But here's the other reality. Um, w- when I give you the benediction at the end of each worship gathering, and you walk out those doors, you, every single one of you, is commissioned as a missionary. Every one of you. And in many ways, our whole lives are a mission trip. How, how many of you, just by show of hands, have been on a mission trip, short-term mission trip at some point in your life? Okay, here's three things you know when you go on a mission trip, okay? Um, I'm here for a reason. I'm not going to be here long, and I'll be going home soon. And, and that's our lives. We are here for a reason. We won't be here long. And soon we'll go home. So everyone who has surrendered their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ has been saved from something, but also saved to something. We've been saved from death and hell and and the consequence of our sin. Praise God for that. But we've also been saved to God's mission. Um, Paul, later in 2 Corinthians, he'll put it this way. Uh, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. This is the result of the gospel. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, okay, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. So everywhere you go outside of this room, you are an ambassador for Christ. That doesn't just mean, you know, don't say bad words and look at things you shouldn't. It means you are representing the King of kings and the Lord of lords everywhere you go, everything you do when you walk out these doors. And so here's what we do. We live with purpose. He has called us. He has sent us. He's equipped us. And we expect both open doors and opposition every time we go out these doors. And when we gather here, we are coming to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf and 
to rejoice in what God is still doing in and through us. That's one of the purposes of gathered worship. We rest in God's finished work and we rejoice in what he's continuing to do even today. Which means we got to get better at, at telling and sharing stories about what God's up to in our midst. Some of this happens in community groups, and I'm so thankful for that, that you know, when you're in a group, uh, you might, maybe you have an opportunity to pray for someone or share the gospel with them, or maybe you're just like, hey, pray for this person I work with or live with or whatever, and that's great. Um, but I also want us to be able to share those stories, and not just this, you know, I said this earlier uh, in this series, not just those, you know, radical success stories of like, you know, I went up to this person and shared the gospel, and they came to faith on the spot, and now they're a pastor or whatever, um, but like the ones where it's like, I don't even know how to open my mouth about Jesus. And then it comes up and I feel super awkward. And then I tell them I'm a Christian or tell them what the gospel is. And they're like, that's dumb. And they walk off. We need that story too. Cause that's going to be a lot of our experience, but it's encouraging to hear other people are in the same boat as you. Right? So I guess what I'm saying here is we need help telling those stories. We need stories and I know they're out there uh, and we need a format to share those stories, whether it's giving you the mic uh, or turning on a video camera and letting you talk into that camera and just share what God's up to. But uh, if you have a story and if you can help us share those stories, please t- tell me about it. Talk to me. Like we, we, we got to get good at telling those stories so that we're encouraging one another each week, right, on mission. And so wrapping up, the disciples uh, are there. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, it says, stayed no little time, which is Luke's way of saying a long time, uh, and there are, there are, as I mentioned, three more mission trips that they're going to go on. At least Paul will. And most of the churches that are mentioned in the, New, in the New Testament, most of the churches that letters are written to in the New Testament are going to be the fruit of these missionary journeys. Uh, how encouraging is that? So as we wrap up, um, it's kind of an awkward ending, but I, I want to put a few questions up on the screen for you. Uh, they're going to come, I think, in, well, you'll see. One question is super long, so they may not all fit on the screen, but... Uh, you can write them down as they come. Take a picture of the screen uh, as many times as you need in order to get them. But I'd encourage you just to take these questions with you uh, to breakfast, to brunch, uh, to community group, wherever, uh, and, and think on them, dwell on them, pray on them, and, and have conversation about them. First question is this. Where might the Lord be calling me to persevere? Is there a circumstance, is there a situation in my life right now that is nearly dead, that feels broken and, and beyond repair, that is um, really hard, and I want to give up, and I want to run the other way, and the Lord is calling me, and I know he is, I just don't want to admit it. He's calling me to persevere. Where might the Lord be calling me to persevere? Now, I'll admit, there are others of you that the Lord is freeing you right now. He's releasing you. He's saying, you have fulfilled your mission, right? You're free. But there's others of you, I, I have a suspicion that the Lord is calling you to persevere. And it's not what you want to hear, but it's what you need to hear. Second question. How does, knowing that I am loved by Christ, that I'm loved by this community and its leaders, how does that reality encourage me to press on even through pain? Knowing that that Christ has died for me, that the life I now live, I no longer live in the flesh, but I I live in Christ, right? That, That I'm loved by these people in this church family, that I'm loved by my pastors and elders, that they're with me and for me and that they're praying with me and for me. How does that encourage me to press on to continue even through hard and painful circumstances, not to hit the eject button, uh, but to keep going, that they're with me and that the Lord's with me. How does knowing I'm loved by Christ, 
by this community and by its leaders. How does that encourage me to press on? All right, third question. What doors are being opened for me to share the hope of Christ? Some of you know exactly, you're seeing those doors open, you're seeing people's hearts be soft, you're seeing people coming to you with questions about God and it's a little unsettling. And others of you, you're seeing a crack in the door. There's a little bit of light coming through it, but it's still, you know, maybe there's still opposition, right? Trying to push that door closed. But what doors are being opened for me to share the hope of Christ? That there's opportunity out there uh, to, to be courageous and to just ask someone uh, where they stand with God or, or, or to pray for them or to ask them uh, if you can share the gospel of Christ with them. Uh, and then the last question is this, how might my story Okay, maybe that's your testimony of how you came to faith. Maybe that's just a story of how God has met you as you're trying to share the hope of Christ with others. How might my story encourage others in this faith family? It should say faith family there, but um, probably fell to the next line. So we all have a story to share, okay? How can that, how can that encourage my brothers and sisters in this faith family uh, to, to stay on mission as well? And, and again, if you can help us share those stories, if you have a story, uh, maybe just fill out a connect card and let us know about that so that we can uh, help you or that you can help us uh, communicate those stories to the church family. So I'm going to leave these questions up for you on the screen. I've gone a little long this morning. I apologize for that, but um, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to invite you to respond to the Lord and what you've heard through uh, a few things. Number one, communion, which is now available at these tables. There are trays uh, with gluten-free crackers, wafers. Uh, so if you have a gluten allergy, you can just grab one of the cups with the juice, discard the wafer, and, and take one of the crackers off the plates there. Um, but for the rest of you, we'll come down these center aisles. I'll just sort of split this, come down center aisles. You should be able to make your way back up the edges. Uh, it's a little tight on that side, but you'll be okay. Um, so you can take communion on your own time. Uh, we'll give you some space for that, and then the band's going to return and lead us in song. So we're going to sing. That's another way we respond to the Lord. Uh, if you are new here, you can give your Connect card. Uh, if you're a regular and you want to give of your finances and you're not already doing that online, you can uh, put your check or cash in the giving boxes. Um, but let me pray for us, and then I'll, I'll lead you into communion. Father, thank you for these men and women. Thank you for uh, your word, which encourages and challenges us. And I pray today that your people have been both encouraged and challenged. Um, Lord, I pray that whatever, that something that has been said today would, would stick that you'd help us to be faithful to you um, as we live our lives on mission, to be courageous, to be humble, but to be bold. Uh, Lord, and that you would do what only you can do through our lives, that you would uh, bring people to salvation, that you would allow us to encourage one another through uh, testimony, through conversation, and that we really would embrace the reality that we live every day on mission for you, not just certain times a year when we cross over water, but every single day uh, as an opportunity to be a missionary Help us, Lord, to embrace that reality, and would you make us fruitful for your glory and for the good uh, of your kingdom. We pray in the name of Jesus and by the power of your spirit. Amen.